Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Digital transformation has been a hot topic for some time. Integrating new technologies into the workflow of organizations has been the focus of many leaders and IT departments. The focus is often on the actual technology, the investments needed, and the training that will be required. However, without carefully designing a new system, both in terms of the technology and organizationally, there's a real danger that the new technology will not have the desired impact. Although designing a system to support new technologies is time-consuming and costly, my guest in this episode will explain why it is invaluable to the success of the organization. Kevin Pashuk is Associate Vice President of Digital Transformation and Technology at Sheridan College in Canada. Sheridan College is a leading post-secondary institution educating approximately 24,000 full-time and 18,000 part-time students every year. Prior to this role, Kevin was Chief Information Officer at Appleby College in Oakville, Canada, a co-educational independent school serving over 750 students. Under his leadership, Appleby was a trailblazer in North America in implementing one-to-one educational technologies. Kevin has received several awards for his vision and leadership in digital transformation. He was awarded the inaugural 2010 IT Leader of the Year Award from Computer World Canada and awarded one of the top 20 innovative CIOs by Computer Reseller News for his work at Appleby College. Thank you very much, Kevin, for joining me. My pleasure. Before we jump into this topic, can you define what digital transformation means to you? Absolutely. Great question. You know, digital transformation, well, it's in my title. It's also splashed all over many journals and, and marketing ads and campaigns and everything. So it, it really has become kind of an all-encompassing term. But for me to understand what it means, I've got, I really look less at the word digital and way more on the word transformation. It's such an important phrase, the concept of being transformed in sectors like higher ed that are being disrupted or wanting to disrupt the sector. I wanna be a leader, I need to disrupt the sector. Right. So, but there's a need to change both what is done, but also to really understand why we're doing what we're doing. That word transformation is key. You know, years ago, Bill Gates said, simply automating a process is not enough. If you automate a bad process, you end up with a very quick, bad process. Absolutely. And as such, so digital transformation is not an art or a craft that stands alone. It really requires a compelling and a necessary reason for an organization to change. So in higher education, in many ways, the sector was being disrupted prior to COVID hitting. COVID accelerated much change in in higher educational institutions, but we were faced with a number of of factors out there anyway, that looking at what is it that we are providing? Why do we exist in in light of what things that are going on in in what the world we're sending students into, the amount of uh, disruption that's going on in other industries? How do we prepare our graduates for those sectors? How do we prepare them for those jobs that may or may not exist? The digital part of it is really the tools that guide us and lead us to executing on the strategies. Absolutely. And in so many ways, digital is everywhere. So it's yes. almost a, a redundant term. 
and transformation has to be happening all the time to, to keep up with, with good practices and new tools. Absolutely. We've seen several excellent examples. We, we are being impacted by what you and I are talking about today in digital transformation without even knowing it, it somehow. Because as we, as we go through this, this conversation, you really begin to see that I'd like to focus really on what are the outcomes or the experiences that happen and why we are doing that. And then it, it's really a matter of a mechanism and a series of processes because we buy technology, but it's the people who change. So it, there's this hand in glove requirement that you bring tools to people and it's the people that are going to change the organization. So those are key, key elements of it as well. Absolutely. It's really, really important. And although we're talking about a college, you are leading a digital transformation and, and change in a college setting, but really the topic we're going to be talking about is applicable to a lot of different organizations. In essence, it's a major organization with a lot of people using a lot of different tools and quite applicable. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the various sectors that come and have been transformed, if you look at uh banking, the, the travel industry and such, those are all ones that people jump to fairly quickly. But colleges and higher education in particular, and I'm constantly in meetings where we're talking about why this sector is so different. And in a hospital, as an example, while there's a lot of change happening, there's, there's almost a, a singular core purpose. While there is various departments, and I know some of your listeners are going to write responses and say, he doesn't know what he's talking about, but I was in medical education for a number of years. So I do have a little bit of a background there. So but we could understand some of the core elements of what needed to happen. And if I, if I was going into a hospital and I yell code chartreuse or something, practically everybody who was employed at that hospital would understand what it was that I was saying. You know, there's these common practices, common frameworks, common execution, things, certain things that more so are done centralized. We are a highly decentralized sector, even within an organization. We like to call them silos sometimes, but in reality, we have faculties, we have departments, and within those faculties, we have departments. And historically, we have been, I would call it fiercely independent, mm -hmm. it's a way to put it. And we love our fierce, we're fierce about our independence. We, we relish it, we celebrate it to the point where we get impacted though, when I need to do something that impacts more than me. And you begin to say, you know, I work for Sheridan College, we call ourselves an Institute of Technology and Advanced Learning. But the institution part of it really is in our title. In our execution, we plan independently, we budget independently, we execute our projects independently. So where you lose the ability is understanding how people are interacting with your multiple facets of your, your organization. Digital transformation puts itself there and understanding life from the experience of the people coming into the organization less about what's happening at the, at the core of the institute. It's so true that higher education does have these very, it's connected by the fact it's all education, but it does have extremely different disciplines that teach different topics in different ways. And when something like digital transformation is happening across the institution, it has to cross all those departments and disciplines Absolutely. in some ways similarly, but in other ways serving each of their specific needs and purposes. Absolutely. And, and you cannot minimize the, the fact that there's different expressions and, and there's different purposes and, and reasons and, and core priorities that are there. In many ways, the, in leadership language, we would call higher educational institutions more like a track and field team. You know, we all wear the Canada jersey, but different events. And if your event, you don't happen to do well in your event, well, 
I'm sad for you, but at the same time, my event is still there and I can. Yes. So in digital transformation, in many ways, it's helping the organization start looking at itself more of a, of a soccer or football club where people have roles and, and positions to play and understanding that they're part of something bigger. And even with the distinctness of what is going on in programs or faculties or departments, you still have this area of commonality where there's a tremendous potential to leverage the shared knowledge, the shared information and create this unified experience for both our students and faculty, our people who use our information. That's a great analogy. Absolutely. So what does digital transformation look like in practice in a large organization? Good question, but I, I'd suggest there's not one answer that's going to work on this, this one. Right. Really. You know, air travel, banking, retail, I can take the device in my hand and, and well, I wish I could book a trip right now, but that, that'll come soon. But I can do much of my banking. I can do much of much research. I can find communities. I can buy things and things come to my door. It's all done there. But in the higher educational sector, as we, we just talked about, you know, you've got islands of innovation and pockets of wonderful. And these are the, the things that make the front pages. These are the things that are making the journals. These are the studies, but typically they're not an institutional perspective of that. There are challenges in the sense, and we talked about that fierce independence. If you look at Educause, the top 10 IT issues, and this is a list that I've, I've watched for years, the top 10 issues in higher ed sector, there's still a lot of energy being put towards incorporating the types of services and activities that should have been well underway before the pandemic. So this is the pandemic list of top IT priorities. It's a lot of rescue and recovery type priorities within higher educational institutions. You've got to find new revenue sources. You've got to, the management of your expenses, you know, particularly if you rely on international sector for, this, for students. Transition to online learning. How many institutions that was suddenly, oh my, we have to do something about online learning at this point in time. What does that even look like? Do we just pick it up and drop it into our learning management system? You've got ways to find digital equity. The students that came to your campus to use the labs and the, and the learning commons who may not have had a computer at home. And we see this in our college sector quite a bit. That sometimes with the international students, many of them will rely heavily on how do we provide equity of access? So these are still a bit of rescue. And then they've got another series of issues in higher education that, that are called the evolving issues, which is information security. I guess we should pay attention now that we haven't got everybody in a closed garden, walled garden of security. What do we do with them? Online learning is, is within that list. Equitable access to education. How do we, not just labs and, and such, how do we make it there? And the fact student success is, is also in that, the evolving part of the IT issues there. How do you actually create student success? And that's really good. But Educause, thankfully, also has that, a third tier, which is called the transformation. Seems to be there if you're addressing it after you've looked at the other two or you've got initiatives underway in those other two. And, and, and they include things like a, addressing the institutional culture. The hardest change of all is, is culture change. Yeah. But but that is still kind of key. Will they go back to a fully in-class delivery of their, their programs? Probably not. That hybrid will be it's here to stay for much of us. The cost management to focus on what are the things that we should be focusing on, not just whatever idea happens to bubble to the surface. Technology alignment, making sure that everything we buy is going to work together. All of these are now on my plate as leader of IT within a higher educational institution. So the point I'm trying to make is that COVID-19 exposed some serious cracks in the educational sector. Those who did not recognize that the sector was poised for major disruption, this was really exacerbated in 2020. Some of them did not fare well. 
I'm, I'm really fortunate that in our education institution, we had a lot of planning underway to help deal with some of the things that are going to help in a digital transformation before we were our hand was forced yes. by COVID. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. And you described a few things that are important to consider and important aspects of a digital transformation. You've said that what is often overlooked in a changing system is the organization of it. Yeah. So the actual system underlying the all the different issues and different aspects that you mentioned. So what do you mean by this? What do you mean that what's overlooked is the system? Very good. You know, it, information is, is our lifeblood in many ways. Most people acknowledge that. But in practice, many of us take the first technology that we came upon and that becomes our gold standard for the rest. A good example, you know, when I had my Palm Pilot, everything was in that little device, you know, my yeah. schedule and I moved it there and I carried it around with me and look how wonderful that was. And I could interact with me and not have to deal with other people. In departments and, and back in those days, I was in doing a lot of engineering work. We had systems that we brought in to look after engineering drawings or cataloging or engineering. HR had their systems, finance had their systems, and all of these systems were working somewhat independently and could. So the processes, typically the processes that were designed with that type of technology in play were designed to make it easier for the department, not the student. You know, students that had a question or a problem would also be bounced from department to department or from web page to web page or from voicemail to voicemail or go here, make stand in line for three hours to make an appointment to stand in line for another three hours to, you know, we, the gauntlet that we put people through is so that the underlying systems that deliver this to you, and I talked about buying things online and I've said regularly, Amazon has figured out how to make me open my wallet willingly and say, just take my money. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not because the stuff they sell is better, but what they have done is really gathered all the right pieces together. It all works seamlessly. They've anticipated so much of my experience that their system is about my, the optimization of my experience. So these disparate, disconnected islands of information systems are one of the key factors why most digital transformation initiatives fail. They just can't get the information to the front catalog that they don't understand which is the most accurate information. And it can become a very tangled web, easy to imagine. And it happens very often where one department says, oh, we would do really well with this type of technology. Let's implement that because it works really well for our subject. And then yeah. another department says, well, there's a, some other type of technology that really works well with our subject. And then it, maybe they're on different platforms and well, they implement their own platforms. And it, it very quickly grows into a tangled web of everybody using something different and the system underneath it is quite cumbersome, isn't it? Yes. And quite often each department or faculty in many ways is, is looking at, I, I need to do the whole thing myself. So rather than talk about what is distinctive that I need to do, rather than jump to the solution, what is it we're trying to do here? Who else is doing it? And that's the question that's quite often missed within an institution. So the concept of the system in many ways is, is looking at a way to really do the things that are common across all departments, all faculties, and do them really well and make those and that information available so that they can work on the things that are distinctive. So then the kind of institution that we need to create is one where we understand where the commonalities are yeah. between all of our different parts and then provide that. Why is this overlooked in a major institution? How does this become yeah. neglected? 
So much of it is culture in the sense that this is the way we've always done it. And again, if, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard that in a meeting, we've always done it this way. And, and many times these processes were created in response to a very legitimate need, mm-hmm. but the world has changed around them and they, they become actually a cumbrance uh, to being able to move the information around or there was nothing else available, but now there is, mm-hmm. you know, I need to buy that tool that only worked on this particular one computer. And when I'm talking to people about this within faculties or departments, we really, I really like to focus on getting away from having our systems designed around what we do. I take this piece of paper, I process it, I put things in, and then the student takes that piece of paper, you know, and we're yeah. focusing on automating this process, yeah. as opposed to really having the conversation up front of why are we doing, what is it we're trying to legitimately execute. My son works in the banking industry, and he is a Six Sigma black belt, which very simply put, uh, well, we're very proud of him. We, you know, it's kind of like, can you explain in an elevator what you do? Uh, <laughs> for an elevator, right? In many ways, he looks at, he goes into a department, he and his team, and, and they say, tell us what you do and tell us you know, what success looks like. Tell you what are the things you're producing? What are you you're coming up? Then they go, how do you do that? And then they say, if you can get from here to there with six less steps, is that a good thing? And he literally saves the bank millions of dollars here. The why we do that is way more important. In my conversation with my colleague in facilities, the people that come say, well, we need a renovation in the room. We need this classroom redesigned so we can teach such and such. If they step back and say, well, what are you trying to teach? Then let's look at the design of the room. You know, they come preloaded with the design. They come to me preloaded with this quote solution as opposed to what is it you're trying to do? Why are you, what are you doing it? What are the obstacles? What, what are the things that absolutely have to happen? Those conversations. So the institution that we really need to create is maybe a little more transparent where you're not introducing the project management book of knowledge and everybody Mm -hmm. has to follow these 3000 steps in order to do things. That's not going to achieve it. It's the conversation up front, moving it from a what to why, moving it from a solution to an outcome, and then bringing the people in the institution that have the skills and expertise, the people in facilities know how to what the rooms are capable of or what they can be changed into in the codes. We know this, the information security side of life. We know the data that we're working with. We know what data exists already. So the kind of institution we need to create is one that really recognizes I'm part of something bigger and I have a very specific position and role to play. And that's important, but I really have to understand it, but I don't need to do everything else because the, the resources are there to help me. It sounds like something that starting from scratch is something to build in, but certainly this becomes extremely complicated when an organization is trying to revamp and change this culture and change the system so that it supports the inclusion of new technologies and changes to be able to change quickly, to have a system that can support that. So I can imagine a lot of things that are very challenging, but what do you think is most challenging about it and how can we make it a little bit better? Great question. The, the, the most challenging thing, in my opinion, is that it, this is not a technological problem. Yeah, definitely. And we not. want to use technology to solve it. This really, you know, throwing a software solution at a problem rarely produces the desired outcomes. Yeah, it amplifies the problems it, that you already does. had. It, as a favorite quote of mine is G.K. Chesterton, uh, you know, a British author from the early 20th century. And he said, it's, it's not that they can't see the solution, it's that they can't see the problem. Mm, that's great. And that is probably one of the more challenging things. And, and somebody in my role and, and on my team, which is leading people into these conversations to really articulate. What is it, the problem they're trying to achieve? 
what would it look like if, if the problem was fixed? What are the obstacles that are getting preventing you from achieving what you need to? Mm-hmm. Historically, we're not great in the higher educational sector in, in identifying the problems we're trying to solve. I mean, we teach our students this. This is this is the amazing thing. But when you get back into the administrative side of the house, oh, we don't need to know that. What do we need to know? Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it, I can talk to frontline people. I can talk to deans. I can talk to the business managers within the organizations, and they can tell me their world very well, but they can't explain where they fit into a, a bigger construct. You know, and, and I used to like to say, sorry, you're not the only fish in the bucket here. You know, we're, we're big fish, small ponds, and we like to keep our finger on everything that's going. So, but this is really more of, it's a statement I will use right regularly is, why aren't you generating your own electricity if you feel so compelled you need to do these things? Mm-hmm. Oh, because we can buy our electricity because somebody does that really well. And it would, it would be very expensive for us to generate our own electricity and all that infrastructure that we need to put in. And I'm kind of going, same thing. Yeah. There's a lot of things out there that you spending your time and resources doing are taking you away from your core reason to be here. Mm, that's a really great analogy, a very good analogy. And I guess the challenge is really in helping someone in your position who overlooks the entire organization to help each of the different parts of the organization to recognize which parts are special to them and uh, and are specific to them and which parts can be common across the system. Yes. And picking that apart. How do you do that? Isn't it? Is that an individual one-on-one discussions or what is a big, what is a key tip yeah, in our case, we've, we've set up, a, many institutions have a project management office, but by then it's too late sometimes if that's all you've got. You know, somebody's already made the decision of what to do. These poor people are challenged and tasked with pulling it off. In our case, we put together a, um, the genesis of which was a conversation I had when I first got to Sheridan. As head of the IT, I went out to speak to the academic leads, I went out to the business leads and ask them, what are the top three initiatives that IT is helping you with? I'm the new guy here, he helped me out. And I learned a few things, which is they can't prioritize and they can't count. (laughs) Some of the departments gave me a list of, I'm not making this up, 128 items. Oh, wow. And they weren't all projects, they weren't all initiatives. Some of them are just concepts or ideas, but they'd never sit there and they just, wanted to get it on a list so that it didn't get messed somehow. Mm. But there was no way to weigh that against everything else. There's no way to vet, is this really helping us achieve what we do? Are we already doing it somewhere? Where are the, those are the elements or the components. Yeah, so how do you deliver multiple complex projects with limited resources? So after I took this big list and it whittled it down to about 60 items, the president asked me that very question to which my response was, there are a lot of organizations who are handling multiple complex projects with limited resources, but not typically in higher education. So we have to go outside the sector and look at who is doing that. What are they doing? What are the tools they're using? Mm-hmm. How do we adapt for the higher educational decentralized model se- sector that we have or interface with? So that started us with the creation of a portfolio management office breaking it into four categories, four portfolios, you know, the academic portfolio, the student services portfolio, uh, finance and admin portfolio, and an HR portfolio. And that would allow that group of people to come together and have those conversations led and facilitated by a trained portfolio manager who has a dotted line accountability to the portfolio lead, which is typically a provo or a a vice president or uh, somebody in a very senior role, so that they would have a view of what's going on within the portfolio. What are the the challenges that is married up with we're moving into an institutional planning group so that instead of planning independently we're planning as a 
institution now, and those goals are brought together. So between the portfolios and that, they're working on the prioritization of recommendations. This is the list of things that we want to move forward that we will need resources and budget for. Mm-hmm. That, that We have a project office underneath that. So we put the piece in there to help define what is it we're doing. And typically we're starting with things that have the, I say plug into the wall. They have an IT component, they have a software component, they have a hardware component. Another trait within higher education that I've noticed is we have this great desire to boil the ocean. We're going to do this project and it's going to be this big and it, it just gets bigger and bigger and we cannot deliver. And we've lost sometimes many of the projects that I've come into. We've lost sight of what it was we're trying to achieve in the first place hmm. because we tried to make it too big or too encompassing or meeting everybody's needs. You know, So not really understanding our needs we put the portfolio management office in there and then we've just recently supplemented with an office of enterprise architecture which is a group that where do you go if you want to know what systems are in your institution you can go around and talk to 30 different people or you can have one group who's responsible for cataloging what all of those are and how they interact with each other and you have people who are trained in 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 data architecture and you have people who are trained in systems architecture that are managing that resource or compendium of information. They also, you know, when they're in full steam, will be working with heads of the portfolio to say, let's talk going out. Where do you see what's happening two, three, five years? Here's our understanding of what's happening in the marketplace in, in terms of technology and kind of providing a, a, an educated resource, somebody who is a specialist in the field, not to make the decisions, but to help you make a better decision because they're bringing their research to your table. So those are two key Fantastic. things we put into play to help those in, in, you know, if you're trying to determine where's my program going, what's happening in the technology world, there's a lot of resources, but who's got the time 24 hours a day on seminars and sessions and learning and who really curates that? Absolutely. So really the portfolio manager is put in place in the different sectors of the organization in order to be able to help the sector prioritize their projects and where they're going and what they need. And then you have a systems architecture specialist who looks at how does the, how do these priorities fit into a system, which then of course they are connected to the greater system of the entire organization and also looking outside because they're looking at How are other industries solving this problem? What are they using? How can we make it better? Yeah, how can we adapt? And not historically, I've seen challenges where people have tried to adopt something from another sector and pick it up and and drop it into higher education. And it's been a dismal failure and there's a lot of carnage along the way. So we're starting with the the mandate that where can we learn from others? How do we adapt it to the uniquenesses that that comes with a highly decentralized group of very intelligent people that all have very strong agendas and a very important. I'm not here to say that people's individual agendas are not important, but in the collective, in the community, to be able to be even having more tools available to you to do your job well, it's kind of like driving with the the Waze application. I'm not sure if you use Waze. Yes. I know very well. The GPS app that tells you has the maps of where you're going. It does. And it saves me, it has saved me hours because if there's an accident on the way, it reports there's an accident. You could go this way and and avoid the accident and get there Mm -hmm. faster. But in using that information, I'm also donating some of my information. Mm -hmm. Where am I? How fast am I moving? It doesn't know who I am necessarily, but it it aggregates all of this information to make it very viable experience of the app. In the same way, the institutional information, you give a little, 
you get a lot. That kind of philosophy, we see it in action and we're okay with it in ways. Even people who are absolutely stringent about their personal privacy to use ways, oh yeah, I love it. What is it? Because there's value in it for me. Right. And there's another key component of digital transformation, which is being able to articulate to the dean, to the business manager, to the faculty member, what's in it for them. Absolutely, which is really, really important, isn't it? Yes. In this entire process, one of the big questions is really that as you are bringing in these individuals who are looking at individual sectors, but at the same time connecting it to the greater system, it's not just about finding new things on how to incorporate into the system, but it's also probably getting rid of things and seeing the priorities and getting rid of certain tools or systems or ways of doing so that it can connect to the greater. How challenging is that? Yeah, you reminded me of of a meeting I sat in once and, and this poor exasperated person said, why is it we can always add more things to our agendas, but we can never seem to talk about what we can take off our agendas? And institutionally, we're, we're the same way. We want to do this and this and this. If you have a way to understand what is important, why we're doing things, then of that list of, and that was one department that gave me 126 items. So of the 500 or so items total that we got, many of them were saying, that's a brilliant idea but it's not in alignment with any of these things that we all agree are important to get Mm -hmm. us to the destination. Therefore, and this is the hard conversation, we're going to back burner that, or we're going to take it right off the stove. We're going to have to take it right off the stove because we agreed that we need to move the institution this far. So difficult conversations, difficult decisions. Learning to have those kind of conversations, but without the why behind it, it becomes a very, you know, then all you're doing is getting in the way of them trying to do their job. It's such an important thing to understand the why. You spoke a little bit about that earlier. I mean, the reason why digital transformation is happening and transformation in general is to be able to use new tools, use work in new ways that are more effective and will assist in the entire business and the experience. And so one of the main things is to improve the user experience. And so can you tell me a little bit about that? You've said that the user experience is an extremely important part of the why of the outcome. So can sure. you tell me more about that? So imagine if you will, you know, all the COVID restrictions are lifted and, and you decide you want to drive to Oakville and visit Sheridan. Imagine how efficient it would be that if you, every time you crossed a township boundary, that you had to stop your car, reconfigure where the steering wheel was and, and reconfigure where the pedals were and the mirrors, change the fuel you use, and you get back in your car and you drive a little way and then next township you've got to put it for their particular ways of doing things. Yes. You know, in a sense, this is what we've, we have to do when we run, try to run an institution with incompatible data systems, incongruent processes. So a poor student can interact with multiple departments and they do interact with multiple departments and business units. They don't only just go to class. You know, they have a student loan, they have student counseling, the student affairs pieces, they have a student union, they have uh, technology, uh, common areas and events. So having a backend system that works as a single user from the perspective of the user, getting back to Amazon, Amazon started with my experience in mind and then built the system to support my experience. Yes. So it's foundational to be able to develop systems that support an exceptional student experience. I've often said that we should take every senior person in higher ed and make them apply for a course. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's such yeah. an important thing, though, for people working in an organization, especially the yeah. leadership who might be removed from the day to day, 
to actually go through the experience of if it's a higher ed organization, if it's a, another business, a store, the most important part is, as you've said, the people and the culture and how, how you make that happen. But it's not also just about the experience of the student, because you also spoke about the experience of the faculty, of the IT department being able to help all the different faculties. So it's internally to the experience is extremely important. So can you can you talk a little bit more about how having a good system to support changes is a really important part for, for the internal users? Yeah, absolutely. The world we're supporting is changing and many of the processes that I'm, I'm running up against were designed, our college is 50 years old and mm -hmm. some of them date back that far. Even within IT, supposedly a quote, leading edge, a number of the way we do things or why we do things, change your password, just pick one, you know, mm -hmm. was designed 10 years ago and it hasn't changed because it worked. What you end up doing is creating a, a, a really an environment, and I say this lovingly, really is held together with duct tape and bailing wire. You know, some of these systems, I found 14-year-old servers supporting certain programs because they didn't get the funding to refresh. They bought it on a grant and yeah. away it went. And the real challenge, though, is well-designed, well-implemented systems are a result of careful planning and really are a canvas for the technology artist. Higher ed has a, really a skills gap challenge and don't can't tend to pay the wages and the perks that private sector pays. We are in need of people that have some very critical skills, you know, some of the, the database work in analytics and AI, artificial intelligence and such, how do we attract them into the institution? If we hire somebody of that caliber and bring them on and say, well, here's your enterprise system and it's, it's 10 years out of date, but you'll, you'll figure it out. And, or we're working on old versions of software or th these things don't work together. And, and you're going to be standing like the little Dutch boy with a finger in the dike, keeping the systems going. That's not a, a place we can hire good people into. Mm -hmm. That's just the, the back room, the getting that skills gap there. And if those people aren't available, we soon realize how important they are. Techno good technology is like oxygen. Our technology is, most people don't think about it until it's not there. Yes. And then it becomes a real problem. It's very necessary for life. So that's one element of that. You and I both know that uh, you have a problem with your credit card. Depending on the name on the back of the credit card, you say, oh my goodness, I have to call or I have to call an insurance company, or I have to call a bank, or I have to call, you know, and we're just dreading the experience before we even get there. I talk to people that have that same visceral reaction where they said, oh my goodness, I have to use the system. So much work and they don't appreciate just what it goes on. So we're introducing misery into people's lives. And that's because we've grown up piecemeal and, and, and patchwork in many ways. Having a system that are being engineered and brought together are just more pleasant to work on. You've probably experienced and yet listeners have experienced organizations that have figured that out right it just and I hate to give Jeff Bezos so much attention <laughs> but I had a package from Amazon that was delivered broken for some reason it got crushed so I went online to say returning packages so what was the problem I, I had a selection of things broken package do you want us to pick it up or do you want to just drop it in the mail he printed out a mailing list they had anticipated that somebody's going to have a problem with a broken mm -hmm. package yeah. and made it so easy yes that's a well-designed system how do i bring that thinking and that architecture into into the way that the systems we deploy we have interfaces that if you try to use them on your mobile phone are horrible you know every institution should have more than one user experience person at the front end trying to 
bring that dialogue into the play. How are people going to interact with this system? Mm. You're removing a lot of obstacles out of there. The other element of digital transformation that you alluded to before about the things we should stop doing. There's a model I use out of Jeffrey Moore's book, uh, Dealing with Darwin. Jeffrey Moore is best known for crossing the chasm around technology adoption, you know, early adopters and then tail and the long tail at the end of it. But in this particular book, and it's a matrix that I've, you know, two axis matrix that I've adopted. And, and then on the vertical axis, if you begin to think of non-mission critical at the bottom, mission critical at the top, and then across the horizontal axis is non-differentiating, differentiating. There's a lot of what we do and a lot of systems we have in play that are really critical to the operation of our institution. But nobody's going to decide to come to Sheridan because we have email. Nobody's going to decide to come because we have a student billing system. I hate to say it, but if we screw up their, their bill and don't have a process in play for how to resolve an issue, if we, you know, that becomes a real problem. There are, we spend an inordinate amount of time on systems that were developed and, and needed a high level of support when they were initially. But why are we still doing those things that are mission critical, but non-differentiating. That is back to the electricity metaphor that I talked about. Mm. How many Absolutely. more things are we doing that are like electricity where it's more effective and simpler to either do it really simply by the service and free up the resources that are normally maintaining that to do the things that are mission critical and will differentiate us or may not be mission critical yet, but our potential to really differentiate us. And that's the research side of it. But I meet too many people that, how is it going? Oh, we're just slammed. We're so busy. You know, and I never hear, oh, I'm just sitting around waiting for something to do. I never hear that. I always hear, we're just so caught up and this is breaking and that's breaking. So how are you planning on getting yourself out of that? One of them is the exercise of what are we doing? So in, in our case, there are some things that are, have taken a lot of work and energy and we're moving it into a hosted service. And when I do the financials, it breaks about even for what we're paying to have it on, but I've suddenly freed up a number of resources that we're working on that, that will be available to help us move forward in other areas. So mm. that is an important thing to bring into play too. Having, getting back, circling around back to the question, this gives my team great things to work on, exciting things to work on. People who are in the positions of using the systems, whether it's the faculty or the business managers or the frontline people, are getting a better set of tools to work with. I mean, I heard so many things that you said that were really, really important. And one being that you need to set up a system that not only functions well now, but it enables a continuous, because someone could say, well, I did set up a system. We set it up 20 years ago, we had a system, but then this changed and that changed and this department changed something else. And the important thing is that when you're talking about systems is that you set up a system that is adaptable to change absolutely so that we all change together and that user experience of the employee is really important to retain good employees who want to work there and i mean we talked about this earlier that it's digital transformation isn't about the technology it's not about the digital it's about the human aspect of it and exactly what you said if, if if hiring someone that you're giving them a very old technology to make their work even more difficult. But also if your HR department and your pay department aren't communicating well and they're out of sync and they're having so much trouble with with the human aspect of it, that's also a really, really bad experience that turns a lot of good people away. If, you know, they'll leave the organization or they just turn down their volume of output and commitment. 
Exactly, exactly. So that's a very dangerous, very dangerous. So when we talk about what is the danger of not looking at the system, it's losing your customers, but also losing your really good employees, isn't it? Absolutely. That is really huge. There's never really a good time or enough time to step back and take time to design a system that can smoothly incorporate new technologies. I'm sure everyone can relate to that. However, the price is, is really great because there's There's a lot of challenge of work organization without a clear system. So you have said that the price of not having good system is that there will never be a good time to innovate. You will never have enough time left to innovate. So can you elaborate on this? Because of course, every organization in order to keep up, in order to be better and better has to continuously innovate. But in order to do that, you also have to have a system that supports and frees up enough time. Yes. to be able to innovate. And I think this is something that I don't hear many people talking about. So please elaborate on that. Yeah, we, we touched a little bit about uh, with the matrix, the, the differentiating and non-differentiating matrix in, in, in many ways, but it's something I hear regularly. I don't have time. I don't have time. My, my wife, who's put up with me for a lot of years, has, has a saying that it's a bit outdated now, but if you want to know what's important to somebody, look at where they spend their time. She used to say, check your day timer, but nobody has those anymore. Um, <laughs> People will spend on, on things that are important. So part of the reason, understanding the why, is it really the compelling reason. You know, I, I look at, at how many schools rose to the occasion and pivoted in a day or two or a week mm. to go from in-person classes to online. Where did that come from? We had a crisis. It's really only two things that really drive organizational change, which is timely legislation or a fortuitous crisis. <laughs> and because you've got everybody's attention and you begin to say this suddenly all of these things we're doing it put it to side for now let's we need to focus on this this is where the leadership of the institution has really come to say this is where we are going this is why we need to go there that change management that happens at that level digital transformation as i said was not a standalone item it really comes to support that dialogue part of it is is really identifying what is important what is going to differentiate us and and people understanding why that is critical and important mm. why do we need to have the ability to expand our our, our modality of teaching to from in class to remote or hybrid or or such why is that even important is it a lot of work yes it is you renovate a kitchen holding good moses there's there's a lot of mess before you get to the good stuff absolutely you know? <laughs> <laughs> Great analogy. But it's worth it because we've seen what it could be. So where is that story being told? The, the systems piece in play, the systems don't just happen. And, and hopefully the message that comes across is you've got to understand and get that why settled down, but also say we've got to build the system to deliver that now. And we've got to be willing to take what we're currently doing in it. Maybe somebody put a lot of time and energy and, and effort, and maybe we even put a lot of money into that. It, does it still meet the objective? If the answer is no, then you say, why are we still doing it? Those are hard conversations, but it's how badly do we feel we need to get to where we need to be? Digital transformation is best put in light of time of legislation or fortuitous disaster. We've all had the backwards blessing of COVID in many ways, and, and there's a lot of things that have come out of COVID that, are, that really are not great. But the one thing from a never waste a fortuitous disaster if you're in, in, in leadership. Yes. So what can we do now that we've got people galvanized around an idea? But the tools you're bringing into play are things like the, we use portfolio management, we, you know, the road mapping, looking for the interoperability of systems. So we've set down some baselines of whatever we bring in from this point forward, 
has to line up with these core things. We, we can't change the past, but we can influence the future. Right. Very important. And it is, as you said, taking advantage of the moment and looking at the system because it doesn't fix itself. It doesn't create it itself. It's important to have that, have that in place. And of course, this comes from leadership and an overall organizational decision. But for anyone listening who wants to start triggering this and wants to bring attention to it in their own organization, what advice would you have on how to get started and how to start the spark in creating a system that supports continuous change? That's great. So, so first and foremost, digital transformation is not an IT initiative. It really is an institutional response to a disruptive environment. So the world is changing. The institution needs to adapt, refine, reframe, and re-envision. That is the, the starting point. So who in the organization carries that torch? That is the person you need to have outside. It, it's a culture change, you know, from moving from an islands of information, or I'll do it all by myself, to systems of autonomous management. Faculties and programs need to be able to say, this is what's important and what needs to happen. But it's got to be done in a federated way so that things that are common to all, why does everybody need to run network servers? Why do they need to run their own networks? What are the electricity items? What are the water items in our, you know, that we can get those services and, and look to central IT or to get those things, you know, data governance, institutional information. How do we use our data? What information do we have? How do we use it? How do we make sure that it's accurate and secure in these days of cybersecurity? It is, you know, every third meeting I go to has to do with how do we ensure that the right people have access, but the wrong people don't. You know, digital transformation is, is as significant as any other initiative your institution has done. That major sports complex, it's, that, that pales in comparison to what digital transformation but what it can deliver, like it's, it's, it's worth it because of what it can deliver. You know, so the, the, the visible support from the president, the faculties, the leadership is key and, and crucial. So that's where you start. You begin to understand where is it? And it's asking the story question is, why do we exist as an institution? Where do we want to be? You know, we have a, um, a multi a 30 year campus master plan underway in which we're having a lot of conversations. What kind of institution do we want to become? Where do we fit in the community? Where, being at that table really helps drive out a lot of our initiatives and where our system needs to be tweaked so we can be able to prioritize. You can't boil the ocean, but what are the things I work on today that are going to lead me towards that? Do I have five different CRM systems? Not unheard of. That, that when the student is talking to this group and talking to that group, then it's being shared. There's places to start. It's got to be appropriately resourced because digital transformation, you don't do it on a shoestring or off the side of somebody's desk. You know, it's got to be an absolute initiative. Got to be treated as an investment, you know, both in the current and the future of the institution with clear outcomes and deliverables. We want our students to be able to access their information on whatever device they happen to be carrying in their pocket. That's even a good start. Then you say, well, who's going to go and ask the questions of what are we currently doing? And then how do we design the process so that we come into play there? So you don't dabble in, in digital transformation and you don't try and build a new organization on a bad foundation. So today's talk is really about laying down really the frameworks to give you that solid foundation, the systems that you have in play. Absolutely. Because there's, if, if anyone thinks that it's expensive and time consuming and there's simply no time for it in this busy world to be thinking about this, thinking about the price that is paid for the loss of business, the loss yeah. of, of the work, and also the loss of your good employees, it does all just crumble unless 
unless you really do pay attention. And more important than ever, as there's so many changes happening in the world, impacting every business, educational institutions, as well as others, the foundation, the system that it's built on is enormously important. So thank you so much for sharing that and and your expertise in doing such amazing work at Sheridan College and other institutions where you've been as well. But before we end, I would like to ask you, I like to ask every every guest, if there is something that you would recommend in terms of reading or watching that inspires you in this field? That is such a tough question because I read a lot of books. So I've narrowed it down to two. Okay. <laughs> Great. So the first one is, is uh, the one I would take up to the desert island. You know, that, that read. And, and I'd recommend Team of Riles, which is by uh, Doris Keynes Goodwin, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. Not only him, but the, the people, Lincoln and his competitors had such a, 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 a there was a, such a disruptive crisis at the time that he became president. Mm-hmm. And all the other people that were opposing him, how he brought them together and focused on what was core and what was brought through. There's just some br- absolute brilliance in, in how he pulled that off. Probably the best book on leadership that I've read that oh, gets some really, in working with people who have different agendas and competing agendas and such good beach book as well for summertime the the one that's less of a a, a good beach book is one that i bought actually for our president of the sheridan when she became president i and that's thank you for being late an optimist guide to thriving in the age of accelerations by tom friedman Mm. and he outlines in the first part of the book of how the pace of technology has overcome our ability to adapt and adopt to that technology and then he paints a, a world of the what we're sending our students out into. Halfway through the book, you're curled up in a fetal position under your desk because it seems so hopeless. Oh. And But it all based on core data. And, but then he brings his way of the where we, there's hope in this and what it's going to bring that together. Again, I, I, I was just so impressed because it it's probably best defines what is the world we're sending our students into? How should our programs look at the fact that this is now the world, not the world that five years ago or 10 years ago, but it is changing so quickly to the point where we can't, it's harder and harder to predict what is going to be there. Really the VUCA, you know, volatile and uncertainty are are going to be. So not just the soft skill, but how do you, what kind of institution we need to be to address this world coming out. So those are the two books. They're, they're both thick. <laughs> well, they're both amazing recommendations and really timely. Oh, and, and very. I've read them both twice. I've read them both twice and I will, I will re- reread them again. They've so succinctly, well, <laughs> succinctly put in a way that just outlines what the leadership you need in, in these kinds of times, but really the world that, mm. that is out in there. So both of those Thank books. You. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. And Kevin, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. And this is a huge topic, very important topic, but uh, having your insight and expertise on it and highlighting some very important points that will be very helpful to a lot of people is greatly appreciated. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Kinga. My pleasure.